This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Ooh, happy Halloween! Um, how y'all doing out there? <laughs> There's, you know what, Claudette? What? There's some youngsters already on the go, and I'll tell you why I know that. Oh. It's because one came by the VOCM studios just a short while ago. Richard Duggan answered the door to the cutest little, what was it, like a wolf, a puppy? Okay, so my son is well beyond all these shows now, but from what I understand, he was a character called Bluey. And but he was just the sweetest little guy. And his dad came up to the door and asked if if uh, we had any candy for him. And I went out and and uh, I even got a high five. So that that was the highlight of my day. Now today was getting to talk to little Bluey outside the VOCM studios. We uh, we were talking about it, uh, Claudette, in the newsroom. How uh, you know youngsters they grow so fast. And you know I just love the little. The little ones in their little costumes, you know, little um, ducklings and piglets. And <laughs> Greg's little one is a skunk, and he doesn't look happy to be in the outfit. He does either. not look happy to be a little skunk, and he's the cutest little skunk I ever did see. But uh, Ricky, what are you, some of your favorite? Halloween costumes over the years. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I was telling you in the in the newsroom a little while ago. Um, there's a, my mom has a picture of me as a doctor, but it was after similar to today where there was a snowfall, but it was a much greater snowfall. I think it was we must have had like 10 centimeters. So anyway, I have like the doctor's coat hauled over this big puffy winter jacket that I had, and so I look like I was a doctor that ate five other doctors. <laughs> <laughs> and a, a lot of us were like that because it, it used to be a bit colder <laughs> one time around uh, thanks, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, Halloween, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I can remember going out and it's, it just doesn't have the same allure when you're out in your full park. <laughs> it doesn't. I remember um, years ago, you know, as a child, my mom always made our Halloween outfits and we wore witches ones, but we had our full snowsuits on underneath. It was freezing. That's what I remember about Halloween having to go through a lot of areas though too um, not when there was a lot of cul-de-sacs to go to now but like parents are more strategic they'll drive their kids and then they get to hit all the cul-de-sacs but I remember having to walk really long uh, distances between houses as well <laughs> and I never did get that whole driving your kid to Halloween it's the biggest <laughs> bang for your buck <laughs> uh, because listen in around my neighborhood I can yep. guarantee you every single person has gone out and bought candy and they might see five or six kids yeah you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. and they're just and so my little fellow when he used to go around the neighborhood he'd have people like dumping him with candy i Sweet. mean dumping him yeah. and meanwhile other kids are going up in i don't know southlands <laughs> or paradise somewhere and they're like sorry we're all out <laughs> yeah. well you know what the the best time to go out i found the last couple of years going out with my son is right at right towards the end if you're out at like between eight and nine o'clock right at the tail end of halloween that's when you'll get the best stuff because like you said it's people at the end of the night and they're like oh, i haven't had a trick-or-treater in the last two hours so here you go here's all the kit kat bars i have left and it's just it's better than christmas morning in some cases <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you get the big dump out right that's mm -hmm. so sweet I, I can't believe that they would actually i would be a bit more selfish i'd probably just keep the chocolate for myself but well, the, be the, the best though was when you found a house that was giving out like 
bottles of drink, right? And you know, oh, the, oh, buddy up the road, he has cans of Pepsi that he's given out. So of course, everybody then would flock up to that house, right, to get their cans. Will, will that still happen with the sugar tax? Ah, good point. I don't know. You know, <laughs> Halloween seems like everything goes out the window. You're still going to want to do what you can for the kids. So I would suspect people would still be doing that. Uh, I found that the great thing about becoming a parent is having to do the inspections. Oh, how hard is that? The dad tax for me now <laughs> is like one, one for Zachary, oh, that, two for daddy. That right? one looks a little bit <clears throat> suspicious. Oh, you, you guys know? got it down pat. Oh, yeah. And Zachary's yeah, like, hey, dad, how, ca- how come all the Reese's pieces are ending up in your pile? <laughs> I, I don't know how the tax works, man. I'm just enforcing it. Mom, you have all the Mars bars. Why do you have all the Mars bars? <laughs> well, it's like this now. I don't trust them. <clears throat> but you're eating. You've got it. Your mouth is full of them right now. What I remember was uh, when I was younger, my dad would be home during the daytime and I'd come home in the couple of weeks after Halloween and I would go to my little candy stash and I would notice that it was decreasing day by day. And I was like, Dad, what? Are you eating my candy? No, nobody. No, you must have been eating all that. No, but I I knew that he was dipping into it at least a couple of times every day. (laughs) And so you didn't say much you're too nice. You are too nice. <laughs> What's the verdict on plain chips? Oh, yeah, they're my I, I love plain chips. Yeah, you put vinegar on it or you go oh, okay. get a dip. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm an outlier then. Okay. Oh. Okay, what are you? Uh, Doritos, come on. Oh, okay. yeah. But yeah. Which, which kind, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, the, 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 the zesty, zesty Morton. is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I always rather cheesies, though. Yeah, the cheesies zesty ones. Yeah, uh, those are my favorite. But anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Ricky and I have something to look forward to this evening, Claudette. Yes, you oh, do. Yes. I don't get people come by. So. <laughs> I just love seeing the kids come by the door now. And the, the cuter or the more creative, the better. I just love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Duggan, thank you. Thank you very much, this Linda. Little, yeah, this little is fun. A little bit of a distraction here on Halloween <laughs> from all the serious news of the day. Uh, oh, by the way, Claudette, have you seen the picture on VOCM.com yet? I was looking for it and I didn't see it, so I must have looked too early. Are you it, talking about the alpaca? The, the alpaca. Okay, yeah. It's coming. In Mount it's, Pearl. I wanted to see that. Yeah. Sarah's in the process of putting oh, it up. Okay. So uh, uh, stay tuned for that. But there's an alpaca going around Mount Pearl. And people in Mount Pearl will know the alpaca. His name is Covey. Oh, I want to see and it And so he's bad. all decked out for Halloween. Oh. He's got a lovely little outfit on. Uh, his bib and tucker, as they say. And uh, he's uh, turning a few heads in uh, Mount Pearl today. So that's a little bit of excitement. Love to see it. Yeah. And I, I, I have to mention before I go, um, we had our little visitor earlier. And he was so sweet and so cute, the little Bluey. But I do have to mention that a a dog accompanied that child, which just put it over the top for me. Little dog in the, I I believe he was a prisoner, I think. He had a little convict. He was wearing a little prison outfit, like stripes, prison stripes. And it said he had a little thing around his neck saying, bad dog. And then he deposited a little (laughs) present on our front lawn. So... Oh, Sarah Strickland just got back to us. It's up now. It's up now. Yep. So take a look at Covey the Alpaca, all uh, dressed up for Halloween on VOCM.com. Richard Duggan, Claudette Barnes, thank you very much. Thank you. So when we come back after the break now, a little more serious uh, and perhaps a little scarier, um, we're going to talk about the fall fiscal update that was delivered today by Finance Minister Siobhan Cody coming up right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. 
And before we uh, get to the uh, fall fiscal update that was delivered today, we have a, a traffic advisory for listeners. We do. We have uh, motors call in and say there was a two-vehicle accident between a cab and a truck uh, on Torbay Road just outside of the old Mamasula's building. Uh, the emergency crews haven't uh, entered there yet, but uh, the gentleman said that the uh, traffic is starting to back up coming out of Torbay, so you can expect delays again on Torbay Road. Appreciate that, Claudette. Uh, please uh, be aware of that. Well, Finance Minister Siobhan Cody delivered her fall fiscal update today. Government is projecting a $154 million deficit this year, which means Newfoundlanders and Labradorians won't be seeing a reprise of the $500 checks delivered before Christmas last year, as government shared in a rare um, surplus. Aside from that, the province is holding the line on a fiscal basis with one very surprising set of stats. Uh, despite the squeeze many are feeling due to rising inflation, economic indicators are good. Here's some of what Cody had to say today. The economic performance of the province shows growth in population, employment, and consumer spending. Population growth continued for the 10th straight quarter. On an annual basis, the province's population increased by 7,022 persons from July 1st of 2022 to July 1st of 2023, the largest annual increase since 1972. The population of Newfoundland and Labrador stood at 538,605 as of July 1st, 2023. Labour markets in particular have performed well with positive employment growth and historically low unemployment rate. For the year as a whole, employment is forecast to increase by 2.2%, while the unemployment rate is forecast to decrease by 1.2 percentage points to average 10.1%. If realized, this would be the lowest annual employment rate, unemployment rate since consistent records began in 1976. Consumer spending in the province has also been strong with higher employment and solid economic performance. Many indicators, including retail sales, new motor vehicle, red, uh, new motor vehicle sales, and some service sector measures have performed well and continue to su suggest persistent demand. Retail sales, which typically account for about 55% of the total consumer spending in the province, totaled $7.5 billion over the January to August 2023 period, compared to $7.2 billion over the same period in 2022. The number of new vehicles sold in Newfoundland and Labrador from January to August 2023 was 17,602, an increase of 5.8% compared to the same period in 2022. In the service sector, sales at food services and drinking places totaled 681 million over the January to August 2023 period, an increase of 14.9% compared to the same period last year. Consumer spending is expected to remain strong with the value of retail sales forecast to increase by 4%. Newfoundland and Labrador's year-to-date inflation rate was tied with Alberta for the second lowest among provinces behind Prince Edward Island. 
the year-to-date inflation rate for Canada as an average hold uh, as an average 4.1 percent. Inflation in Newfoundland and Labrador is expected to average 3.2 percent, down from the historically high annual rate of 6.4 percent in 2022. So that's some of what uh, Finance Minister Siobhan Cody had to say today in delivering her fall fiscal update. The province is uh, projected to have a deficit of $154 million by the end of the fiscal year, very different from the surplus that they had last year that resulted in those $500 checks. So you can kiss those goodbye if you were uh, sort of planning on that. In the meantime, she just outlined, as you just heard, um, the p- province's fiscal performance, which uh, economic performance, I should say, that which has done quite well, uh, which is uh, very different from what people are actually feeling. Here's what opposition leader Tony Wakeham had to say to reporters today after today's update. I don't think there's much of any surprise there. I mean, the overall difference in, the, in what they projected in uh, April and what we see now is about $6 million. A couple of things, though, that did stand out. We've seen the revenues go up by a couple of hundred million because of uh, companies Companies that are, are offshore have literally abandoned the, the offshore and walked away from it. And then we've seen an offset of another $200 million in expenditures because of the increases provided as a result of the nurses' contract, mostly, which, again, something that they did not uh, forecast for. And the other thing that uh, is interesting to me is the increased borrowing. They anticipate borrowing another $700 million. And when we talked to officials with the department this morning, they indicated part of the reason for that borrowing is so they can invest in a future fund. They're talking about $130 million. So to me, it's like taking an advance on your credit card so that you can open up a savings account. I'm not sure that that's great fiscal policy. Um, you know, the housing starts down. Are you, con- are you concerned about that? It's another frightening statistic, actually, when you think about the fact that 34% drop in housing starts at a time when we all, for the last two weeks, have been talking continuously about the need for more housing. I mean, we've seen it in the last two weeks. The government has no strategy for housing and housing starts. I mean, the total confusion around their whole housing strategy has resulted in so many people that are homeless. You know, this begs the question as to why, back in April, did the minister not announce that they were going out to tender for the repairs of all those units that they had in a state of disrepair? We could be living in those units now. But to me, that highlights the fact that there is no housing strategy. You know, the picture that they paint today doesn't seem too bad, but to the average person at home that's struggling, it might, they might not reconcile with what they're hearing here today. You know, how do you, how do you respond to, to a picture that doesn't look too bad, but to the average person at home, maybe it does? Well, it certainly does, because no matter what your status is right now, you know, if you're middle income, if you've got a a mortgage on your house, and I had someone reach out to me, young couple who just bought a house, and now they're seeing their mortgage go up by $700 a month. That's a significant increase in a mortgage payment for anyone. And at the same time, government doesn't seem to get that some of the tax measures they've implemented are part of the problem. Carbon tax is part of that problem. The cost of building materials that come into our province has increased because of carbon carbon tax. The cost of fuel has increased because of carbon tax. And because fuel has gone up, that's one of the contributors to inflation going up. And inflation going up is one of the contributors to interest rates going up. So this is all caused by a fact that a government, two liberal governments, both here and in in Ottawa, have refused, have 
put taxes in place that are hurting people. The carbon tax, the sugar tax. So that's what uh, Tony Wakeham had to say to reporters today after the release of the fall fiscal update. Well, on other matters, uh, MP Goody Hutchings coming under fire for comments she recently made related to the three-year pause placed on carbon taxes applied to home heating fuel in Atlantic Canada. Uh, Hutchings says the Atlantic Liberal Caucus presented their preferences to Cabinet, thus the decision to tweak the program. More homes in Saskatchewan and Alberta are heated with natural gas than oil, while Atlantic Canada relies more heavily on home heating oil. The premiers out west wondering why the three-year pause does not apply to heat created by burning natural gas. MP Hutchings, whose portfolio includes responsibility for rural economic development, says it's about putting money in people's pockets, but they're willing to listen to proposals from other parts of Canada. She was speaking on CTV's flagship news program, Question Period, on the weekend. That's a discussion that we'll have down the road when we know that this one is working. But I can tell you, Atlantic Caucus was vocal with what they've heard from their constituents. And uh, perhaps they need to elect more Liberals on the prairies so that we can have that conversation as well. Well, that comment has drawn the ire from a Canadians right across the country. Federal Housing Minister John Fraser, among the uh, MPs and ministers uh, who have been fielding some pointed questions from media this afternoon. Would other provinces, uh, you know, have the same solution that you guys came up with on carbon pricing if they elected more Liberal MPs? I mean, uh, yeah. Um. To, look to, to your question. It, it's it's uh, hard for me to answer because uh, the same rules apply in every part of Canada. Um, when we're dealing with a policy that targets not specifically a region, but a polluting source of fuel, uh, there may be a disproportionate impact on regions that use that fuel more, but there's not actually a differential in application uh, as between Atlantic Canada, Quebec, Ontario, and Western Canada, because we're targeting a home heating oil. So. It's hard to say that there would have been a different or better deal with more members of one party or another uh, when, in fact, the same deal exists across the country. But because of the over-reliance, typically by low- and middle-income families in Atlantic Canada on home heating oil, uh, there there may be uh, a greater uh, result on both the environment and affordability as a result of that choice. Uh, but there's uniform application at a household level, uh, regardless of which province or jurisdiction that you live in in this country. I'm just wondering, as a follow-up, if you could respond to what the NDP is, has been calling for, which is for the government to re remove the GST on all home heating sources. So was that a discussion at Atlantic Caucus or among Atlantic MPs? And, and why did you all come forward with the, the, the request to remove the carbon price instead of uh, home heating GST? So uh, there's not a discussion that we're having to uh, remove the GST on all sources of a home heating oil. Uh, we we and, and I personally uh, remain committed to to carbon pricing. And you can go back to uh, my time as the parliamentary secretary to then Minister McKenna in the House of Commons, uh, arguing that putting in place a policy that will put a price on pollution and return more back to households is, is the right approach. Uh, what we've done with this policy is taken the solution specifically for home heating oil 
out of a market context. We're solving this problem a different way through substantial government intervention, which is designed to get rid of a polluting source of fuel, home heating oil. Uh, if we've taken the solution out of the market, using a market signal through the price uh, doesn't create the same incentive that otherwise would have existed. Uh, when we're dealing with a group of people uh, across the country, but disproportionately potentially in uh, Atlantic Canada, although again, Quebec and Ontario do have more users than Atlantic Canada, uh, what we end up seeing is that uh, if people have made the decision to change as a result of the government uh, financing directly or covering in some instances the total cost of the heat pump uh, delivery and installation, um, the price on that specific fuel source, it doesn't create the same incentive that it did in the absence of the uh, the solution presented through government intervention. Uh, so from my perspective, uh, it's a, a sensible policy that recognizes uh, that the price was designed to create an incentive to change, uh, but we have created a, a different non-market incentive to change uh, through the introduction of of a, a program that will more quickly get people off home heating oil altogether. So that is uh, Federal Housing Minister John Fraser, who happens to be a member of the Atlantic uh, Liberal Caucus, uh, fielding some questions following a uh, comment made by Goody Hutchings to CTV's question period on the weekend. Any thoughts? Give us a call. We're up to news time now with Sarah Strickland. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm and we are back well a charitable organization in st john's has a concept plan which would open up between seven and ten housing units but says it's getting absolutely nowhere with anybody in the federal or provincial governments tom badcock of the hub on mary meeting road says he has approached all levels of government with the idea and while he has received funds from the city the proposal has barely been acknowledged by other levels of government we take you back now to badcock's call on vocm open line with patty daly Man, I'm at my totally at my wit's end here, um, dealing with the issues of housing and dealing with government of all levels because I just don't know what in the name of God is going on with these people. You know, it started it started a few years ago when they came up with these programs to provide assistance uh, for homeowners when it came to putting in heat pumps. And I said, great, great, wonderful, wonderful. I had one installed, so it didn't affect me at home. But at the hub, we were spending about $4,000 a month on oil. I, I went to everyone. I went to O'Regan. I went to the provincial government. I went to Thompson. I went to everybody who who was being paid by some level of government. And the only people that responded were the city of St. John's that gave us $10,000, which we put in the bank in the hope that we would get some more and nothing. And uh, kept going back and kept going back and kept going back. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now with more announcements, off goes a flurry of letters and emails uh, in the last few days to all these same people, and I'm expecting the same answer. You know, we're a charity. We're trying to survive here. Uh, and as I say, we're spending about four grand a month in oil. Surely the goodness of some assistance out there. Uh, but nothing, not a word from them. Then, of course, when COVID came and struck us here, struck everybody in the hub, we ended up losing some of our tenants, and uh, we had some space available. So a few months ago, I thought, well, maybe we could put some housing units here. So I went to 
uh, a gentleman uh, from design planning uh, company and got us to draw up some plans. Uh, Jim Din had been speaking to me about attending one of his meetings. I was busy that night and I said I couldn't, but he said, well, come and see me tomorrow morning. I went to see Jim, showed him my plan. He loved it. He said, great. And we could put seven really nice bed-sitting rooms there at the hub and possibly in the future three one-bedroom apartments. He said, geez, I love this. I'm going to go to Paul Pike now and get him to talk to you. Well, I think Paul Pike is probably down at counting classes or something. Uh, and I hope they're writing this down and recording it because I'm so frustrated now that these people won't respond. I did get a meeting with Newfoundland Labrador Housing CEO who loved the idea. Great man. Oh, man, what a plan. Sorry, we got no money. And what do you mean you got no money? You're in dire straits here. You're trying to find places for people to live. I got people living under my ramp here at the hub. And you got no money. And I wrote the premier. I wrote Minister Pike. I've written everybody and said, guys, what more do you want me to do here? You know? Uh, I want to put these units here. I want to take people off the street and put them in. And they don't even have the courtesy of responding to me. I'm losing my voice here. Um, I'm sorry about that. But, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm going to get on the radio like this and try and embarrass those people to call me. It's so damn frustrating that, that I don't know what to do, you know? I wish I had an answer for you. Um, you know, again, communications between residents and any level of government is pretty tricky business sometimes, but it can boil back to fundamentals. Even if you don't get the answer you want, an answer is better than silence. It just yeah. is. I don't understand how they haven't learned that very easy lesson. Again, I'm sure it feels bad for the messenger to always have, no, sorry, can't help. But I tell you what, when people get the answer, even if it's absolutely the opposite of what they needed or wanted to hear, eventually those emotions or anger, it's tempered. But when it's day after day and week after week, month and year over year, and you don't get any answers, what do you think the result is going to be? People are going to be furious. Yeah, yeah I know. And this is, the, this is what makes me so mad about this, is the fact that, tell me something. Tell me to go to hell. Tell me to suck eggs. Tell me to crawl back into a hole. I don't care. But for goodness sake, we got a housing crunch here. Uh, people need a place to live. We've got the building. We're a charity. We don't want to make a fortune on this, you know. I, I do have people calling me saying, is this still for rent? And I'm saying, I'm sorry, I just want to get an answer from government. Uh, I, I want to be able to, to get a bit of money for us here, and I can provide, you know, the housing for people. And this, this would be nice housing. You know, my cleaner would clean the place in the daytime, and, and, and we could put people in there that really, you know, some that might need a bit of care and things. And, and I can't even get anybody to just simply call me, text me, email me, or send a carrier pigeon over in Confederation Building to let me know what's going on. It's just so frustrating, so damn fr And I don't know why I'm doing this, you know. I'm 75 years of age. I haven't got a salary from the hub for years and years because we, we're just struggling here. So I'm saying to myself, what, what am I doing this for? Why don't I just go home and spend time with my wife and kids? But but I'm now to the point whereby it's, it's just like I'm, a, I'm on a mission here to try and see why people won't answer me. And I know you got a company down there that's recording everything that's said about them and goes over them daily. And I hope 
when they get these recordings, they'll they'll see that. Come on, guys! In the name of God, do something. This is an opportunity. So that's what Tom Badcock of The Hub on Mary Meeting Road had to say on open line this morning. Well, VOCM's Richard Duggan reached out to Minister Responsible for NL Housing, Paul Pike, for his reaction to those concerns. Mr. Babcock uh, met recently with uh, Newfoundland Labor Housing Corporation officials uh, to, discuss, to discuss that concept of developing uh, seven bed sitting rooms with uh, communal living space. Now, this meeting didn't take place until the 18th of October. So, my understanding is that Newfoundland Labrador Housing staff provided information on the new um, affordable renting uh, rental housing program, which remains open for. Um, application from the uh, community housing sector. Uh, the program provides uh, capital grants uh, to create standalone affordable rent rental housing units and thus at this time, point in time, does not apply to the uh, individual bed sitting rooms. Uh, staff also discussed other federal opportunities because there are lots of other opportunities out there including funding to support uh, pre-development um, costs for affordable housing, some of which uh, may be eligible to, to support um, the development of bed-sitting arrangements. So, you know, we welcome uh, and, uh, the opportunity to uh, for further discussion, Mr. Babcock, on how we can support the advancement uh, of the uh, HUBS pr proposal, including discussions uh, with our federal partners. Would you be open to a meeting with Mr. Babcock to, to discuss uh, the proposal and maybe ways that could be fine-tuned to uh, make, uh, put this to fruition? Of course we would. Uh, our staff uh, would certainly, uh, and myself, would certainly welcome the opportunity to meet Mr. Babcock again just to, uh, you know, make sure that he's aware of all the funding opportunities that are out there. And, uh, you know, this, this is something that we, we would uh, definitely be open to. So just to be perfectly clear, so you're saying that the door is not closed on, on that proposal? Oh, no, the door is not closed on, on that proposal. As we indicated to him, that we certainly work with with uh, uh, Mr. Babcock on other funding opportunities. Of course we would. Uh, and, you know, there are uh, a number of opportunities available to, uh, through the federal government, and we would work very closely with Mr. Babcock to identify those and help them uh, put together a proposal. One criticism that I've heard would be that, g given the housing crunch, that maybe there should be more of a... Um, of an urgency when um, a proposal like this comes forward. Um, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, we've been certainly, uh, you know, uh, expanding our uh, supportive housing units and shelters, and, uh, you know, we're looking uh, looking to do that. Uh, we're looking for the nonprofit uh, uh, sector uh, more so. But uh, we are we are doing the best we can with, uh, with uh, uh, you know, expanding uh, supportive housing units and shelters. I mean, that's that's been our our uh, go-to now for some time. And uh, so hopefully that'll happen uh, sooner rather than later. So that's Paul Pike, the minister responsible for Newfoundland and Labrador Housing, in response to the call from Tom Babcock of The Hub on VOCM Open Line this morning, saying that he's getting nowhere uh, with... Um, 
the federal or provincial governments when it comes to um, a plan to open up uh, between seven and uh, ten housing units in their existing building. Well, uh, when we come back, um, two municipalities are the first in Canada to earn revenue from wastewater treatment. We'll tell you what that's all about when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And it's getting to be that uh, time of evening. It's getting a little duckish out there. And uh, you're not going to expect to see all those little ghouls and goblins all over the road. But they're out there and they're uh, having fun and they're getting excited and they're darting across the road and and the rest of it. And the roads are black right now because of the uh, snow we had earlier today. So please be aware of that. Take your time. uh, Be aware. Um, uh, Police are doing extra patrols just to keep uh, people aware that uh, a lot of kids going around with their parents but uh you know you remember you were there yourself <laughs> sometimes you know kids aren't thinking about the traffic they are just thinking the next house and the next bit of candy yeah. oh there's there they got their lights on let's go <laughs> yeah no. they got their lights on let's go perfect <laughs> um or uh yeah so and so just put out a big bucket by the door let's go right uh so be aware of that uh take your time uh keep your speed down especially as you're heading home because a lot of kids like to get an early start So um, please be aware of that. And let's make sure everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. Well, two local municipalities are the first in Canada to earn revenue from wastewater treatment. Checks are being presented to the towns of Glenwood and Appleton and Stephenville from carbon offset sales generated from their wetland sewage treatment systems. Well, that occurred last week. Glenn Sharp is the president and CEO of Sharp Management. And I spoke with him after uh, the AGM for Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador last week. Well, hello, Glenn Sharp. Yes, hello. How are you? Good, good. So tell us a little bit about this um, this uh, project you're working on when it comes to wastewater treatment uh, and wetlands. Okay. Um, I designed the uh, wastewater treatment systems that are engineered wetlands for the towns of uh, Stephenville, Appleton, Glenwood, Bishop Falls as municipal systems that treat the sewage with uh, engineered wetlands. Plants, soil, sun are all that's really required to make the systems work. Um, The plants transfer air from the surface down below the ground to allow bacteria to live there underneath the surface of the wetland. As the sewage moves through the system, the uh, bacteria that live there because air is available, oxygen, consume the waste and as it moves through it gets cleaned up to the levels of requirement and even beyond to tertiary treatment levels so the wetland systems do phenomenal treatment on top of that they don't use any electricity they don't generate any methane gas so we can generate carbon offsets a saving in pollution that savings is created because of a comparable system was put in a mechanical treatment system it would be having pumps and blowers and motors and burning electricity that you that's generated by um, Holyrood which generates emissions going out from burning fuel so those emissions were never created because the electricity is not used so in that way there's a savings to pollution 
and going through the quantification, verification, certification stage, you get carbon offsets created and certified that they're legitimate. And then we host them on the CSA Canada registry, uh, Clean Projects Registry, and companies in Newfoundland and throughout Canada buy those offsets to reduce their pollution by offsetting what they can't reduce. So you can't stop driving a car or operating your business, but you can offset your pollution. And through those offsets, we generate funds. We're now at a point that we've paid off the costs of this process, and we're giving monies back to the towns at the municipalities convention here that's running in St. John's. So the, tell us a little bit more about these wetlands. Are these wetland, natural wetlands that are used for this purpose, or are they man-made wetlands? Yes, they're constructed, engineered wetlands that are on dry ground. The one in Stephenville is on the actual airport property. So we're not using natural wetlands. We don't want to put sewage into a natural, uncontrolled environment. These are all inside high-density polyethylene liners like a back, bathtub. So sewage goes in at one end, fully contained and controlled and not in the environment until it's cleaned, and then it's released out to the river or the ocean or wherever the point of discharge is, fully treated. We've seen these kind of, um, uh, you know, technologies before. Is there any uh, issues, you know, when it comes to climate, let's say uh, sustained uh, warmer temperatures for over a period of time or even colder temperatures for that matter? Are there any, you know, variables? There are, and that's why it's an engineered product to make sure that it works through the winter. The system uh, has less production and is less efficient in the winter. But we designed the systems uh, to work all winter long with no issues. We even have a system up uh, on IOC up in uh, Labrador working on their mine office that works all the way through their minus 25, minus 35 conditions in the winter. Could this work in other areas as well? Oh, definitely. This could work for an awful lot of municipalities or industry. Um, these are modular systems in that we build them as beds. So Stephenville has uh, 10 beds, separate little wetland cells, and a town that's smaller would maybe have one of those cells or half of the number of cells. So it's a, a modular design that we can shape to any town, whether that's a town of uh, five, 600 people or a town of three, 4,000, or like Stevenville, up to 8,000 people being treated by just their plants and soil in the engineered wetland. The biggest advantage of these, well, one of the biggest advantage of these systems is that they're very low cost to operate because you don't have an electrical bill. You don't have pumps, motors, valves to replace. It's almost all natural products except for the liner that goes in to contain it. And because the liners are underneath the ground, they're not affected by UV, so they won't deteriorate. So the expected life for them is past 75 to 100 years. So when you're putting in a wetland treatment system, you're not just putting it in for yourself, you're putting it in for your great-great-grandchildren. And do they take up a big footprint? No, not as much as you would think. Um, the wetlands that we design are the most efficient wetlands uh, that we know of in Canada. So from that point of view, they're smaller than any other wetland. 
And uh, we can generally find applications where although you just think you've got a community that your outfall is right on the beach, there's no room to put in the wetland. Uh, we can take the sewage and divert it before it comes to the beach and find space. So generally we can find an application. Sometimes there isn't space, but uh, that's the exception rather than the rule. So uh, two municipalities now receiving these checks. Uh, what kind of amounts are we talking about? Well, we're looking at, uh, we're glad to uh, be able to let you know we're giving checks of $20,000. Uh, as the first checks of hopefully many that will follow for more and more sales to the towns of Stephenville and a joint project, Appleton-Glenwood. There's one wetland system that treats both towns, so a check to the joint towns of Appleton-Glenwood. Glenn Sharp, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for your interest. A fascinating concept, uh, no doubt. Um, uh, Just... Okay, I was a little distracted then. Did I see Taylor <laughs> <Sorry>. Swift? <laughs> if only people could see behind the scenes, right? Uh, yeah, I was uh, distracting Linda a little bit because uh, Liam, who's our creative uh, designer guy here, and uh, Sarah Strickland from our newsroom just came in with a big cutout of Taylor Swift. Like, we're talking the same song, you know. Life size, life size. Of she Taylor was absolutely Swift. life size, and yeah. her arm up in the up air, in the doing air a, with a, yeah. a certain pose, flare. Yeah, and she had on the sparkly uh, outfit. It was just beautiful. Hundred bucks, you can get that done locally. You know. Oh, right so on. I was just telling Liam. I'm like, my God, I should get one of me for my husband for Christmas. <laughs> Not. <laughs> it's surprising, you know, how many Swifties are out there. There, there are so many. Yeah, yeah, and you don't know it until. You talk, I mean, her music, she is great. I mean, she really is. I, um, I, I don't consider myself a fan of just one type of, you know, genre or one person. So she's on the list of music that I like. But I actually liked her when she was country before she did the uh, switchover. So, yeah, it's been a long time. We had someone in this building who was, uh, and you'll remember this, who was absolutely obsessed with Shania Twain. Oh, yes. Oh, and because of the line that he had said about it. Oh, yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for years, he had that big Shania Twain cut out in his office. And I if you weren't paying real close attention, yeah. you know, if you went in, uh, can I need this? And <gasps> there she there is. There she is. <laughs> I forgot about that because the one thing that comes to mind with that, and it's the funniest line ever I've ever heard. Usually, I don't remember stuff but this was a funny line that he used decades ago and he loved Shania so much back in her heyday which she's kind of in a heyday again now uh, but he said that he would swim the St. John's Harbor with his mouth open to <laughs> see her I'll never forget that ever in my life because it made me dedication. laugh so hard now you know for some people who don't possibly remember the bubble and all of that that, that was a long time might ago. not mean anything to you but for those many many people who do the bubble was around that time the yes. bubble was a thing then <laughs> good point linda uh yeah you always knew where the bubble was even if you weren't paying real close attention because it was where all the gulls were yes exactly yeah we were just talking about sewage uh treatment anyway <laughs> 
So, yeah. So, uh, what's going on with the Taylor Swift? Where's she ending up? Uh, well, well, hit our sister station, Hot, would be, have, they do a Taylor Tuesday. So, they're constantly, uh, she could be end up downtown with selfies with, with fans for sure, I would gotcha. suspect. But we've got a lot of great programming coming up um, on VSCM. Oh, my gosh. Do we ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know you're a big fan, too, of Dale Jarvis as well. But before Dale Jarvis, Pumpkin Patrol kicks off at 530. Fonts will be behind the scenes. Ben and Jerry will be uh, uh, out to delivering those boo bags in and around uh, Metro. But then you mentioned uh, Dale Jarvis. He is hosting our Haunted Hotline from 7 to 9. And you know that that show last year, like, blew up. Almost broke the radio. Yeah. It was that popular Mm -hmm. so stay tuned he's got every creepy haunted story that you could possibly imagine in newfoundland and labrador and he wants to hear from you yes call in it's a great ghost show oh it's fabulous uh so yeah i'll be tuned in for sure because i love anything dale jarvis does and he's so good at telling haunted tales and he loves to hear them he loves to hear them so if you've got a scary ghost story in your neighborhood uh pick up the phone give us a call uh i'm sure he'll be happy to take your call so that's uh, seven to nine Seven to nine tonight. Yep. Excellent. I'll be tuned in. Uh, thanks, Claudette. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Watch out for the kitties. And happy Halloween.